everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're on our 100th episode, which is very exciting for us. If we were a high-end podcast, we would have some sort of balloons and hurrahs. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. Our audience can't hear it, but a hundred balloons just lifted off the ground. Those it were was expensive. really impressive. Wait, yeah, so very, that was a bad spend. Yeah, whole budget is blown. Uh, anyway, for those of you who are newer to the podcast, I'm Molly Herford. I write about a lot of different sports for a lot of different places, most notably uh, the Outdoor Edit website, which is theoutdooredit.com. And I have a book series, Getting Young Girls Into Bikes, that's coming out next winter, which is super exciting. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm eating dark chocolate and very excited about this 100th episode. I am also, when I'm not eating dark chocolate, a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach. He actually puts his coaching hat on like somewhere else when he's eating the dark chocolate. He can't do both at the same time. Uh, you can only have one hat on at once, yeah. and my dark chocolate hat is a extravagant hat. Well, we know most of you have been listening to this specifically for this excellent banter. <laughs> it's been a fun hundred episodes with you, dear. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, there's been some really good episodes. Um, you know, we've been... I think we've had a really good time with it. You know, we set out with the intention, as I think many podcasts do, of, you know, we'd try it I don't know what our number was. Was it 20? I thought we had a five. 20? 20? Okay, we're bold or, or not intelligent. I'm not sure, but... A little bit of both. Yeah, and those first 20 were good. You know, we learned a little bit about... Uh, audio. S- audio. Audio <laughs> learning, for sure. We're still not perfect, but we're working on it. I think I've switched through several refrains, maybe eliminated some ums. I'm not sure, but anyhow, we've enjoyed it. We've benefited. Hopefully you guys out there have. Certainly we've gotten some feedback that was positive along the way, which is always nice. We've gotten some constructive criticism we've tried to correct, and we've gotten lots of good show uh, guests that were awesome. Some really cool people you guys have introduced us to. You have some amazing friends and, and heroes and everything else that you've introduced us to, so thank you. Yeah, when we started this podcast, we just kind of selfishly wanted to interview people, not just within our, you know, primary realms of endurance sport, but, you know, really get into other types of sports because we really love this idea of being the consummate athlete, which is, you know, someone who can go out and go kite surfing one day, rock climbing the next, and then maybe run a 10K the day after that. Uh, And actually today is Family Day and President's Day, so happy holiday to both our both well, the North American holiday, I yeah. guess, because North would be Americans out. are generally off. I think today, depending on the state and province you're in. So uh, we decided to do our most consummate athlete day. I don't know that it's our most, but it we was tried. pretty good. The we town tried. of Collingwood and Blue Mountain had lots of things, so we hit uh, a dance, a dancing sort of routine today. Which we have a future guest coming up about sort of this dancing and sort of fun dancing, and so it was just sort of in the square at this ski hill in the sort of little village. And we did some social dancing. Yeah, we also started the day with a swim. Early morning swim, then we were over at the gym where Molly actually mostly just did computer work, but I, I was working with a client and we did some, some squats and stuff, worked on some mobility, and then it was to dancing, and then we came home and had a snack. Walked downtown, Walked like the downtown. 5K, and then went ice skating again. Ice skating, Molly's working on her Canadian, yes, yeah. Canadian... Cross-country skiing, yeah, ice becoming skating, Canadian. I'm getting there. I keep saying I want to play hockey, but then I get on the ice and I'm just terrified. So it's a work in progress. Um, yeah, I think uh, the other thing that was interesting is we realized as we pulled ourselves out of the pool that we hadn't actually been in a pool since early July, uh, despite the fact that the Ironman we did was the last day of July. 
Uh, so it's been quite some time. Peter, did you find it difficult to get back in, or did you? Yeah, get back I mean, in the my groove? my elbow. I'm still recovering from a bit of an elbow injury, so that was a little bit a little bit sore, but eh, I figured it out. It was never that fast, so it didn't really erode that far. So anyway, for our 100th episode, we decided to actually look back and reflect on a few of our favorite episodes and pull some of our favorite bits and pieces from some of the people that we've had on. Uh, We wanted to kind of make a good blend of some of the experts and some of the athletes that have been on. And I mean, man, when we looked through, it's crazy. Like We had NASCAR racers, NFL players, parkour experts, Krav Maga. Tons of golf, actually, which is surprising for the fact that neither of us play. Well, we've talked about this. I really like golf because a lot of people have played it, but there's a very big mental aspect to it. Guys, we still don't have a darts or a pool expert on here. If anyone knows a darts or pool expert, please let me know because I really want to crush it in barroom sports as well as outdoor ones. Uh, So keep that in mind. But anyway, we're going to touch on a few of our favorite guests and... First up is, I'd say, the one that came to mind for both of us when we were thinking about this. Peter's brother actually, like, jumped to her right when we mentioned we were going to do this episode. And he said it was one of his favorites. So our first one is Katerina Nash, who is a multi-time Olympian for winter and summer, cross-country skiing, cross-country mountain biking, cyclocross World Cup. She's almost 40 and is still podiuming and winning World Cups and cross. She was fifth in Rio in the mountain bike. Uh, She has two amazing dogs, so she is one of my favorite humans. Uh, And I think what we both really love about her is she not only is this hard-charging, super serious athlete, but she has a really good attitude about it and about still living your life, even as someone who, you know, is so performance-oriented. Yeah, she's very laid back. Um... I, I've liked her since I first met her, actually. She's just very easygoing. You know, we've gone on a few rides over the years, and, yeah, just super chill. You know, I guess that's why she fit into mountain biking well. But, uh, yeah, really, really. We had a really good discussion that sort of goes through, you know, female sport. We go through, you know, her early upbringing in the Czech. Uh, we go through cross-country skiing and what that brought to mountain biking. You know, how her form is good so so much of the year. You know, she races cyclocross in the fall, winter, uh, and getting, like, world-class results. But then also on the mountain bike, like Molly said, she's going to the Olympics, right? So this is spanning much of the year and hitting these peak performances. So we talk about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such a great discussion. So what if we, we, we have a, a quote, hopefully, we're going to pull here, and we're going to just play that for you guys. Yeah, so let's get into Katarina Nash. I look back at this period of my life as uh, we lived in the mountains and we did nothing else than just like work out before breakfast, work out before lunch, work out after lunch, and sometimes work out after dinner, you know, three, four sessions a day. And all you do is just like come home, change, eat, shower, come home, change, stretch, do you know, and it was just like that was your life. So I don't think I overtrained as hard neither do i know it's the most effective way for the sport i'm doing right now you know i love the fact that you can just get on your bike get three to five hours be done with it and still have a half a day to do other stuff you know Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't train as hard the one thing that i did have to work on for a really really long time that we sort of identified with dean that i was lacking was that I had the intensity and that that really showed in my 
short track racing. Anybody remembers those years, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I could, you know, I could like show up for short track and just like, you know, win most of them for a period of time there. But I was, you know, struggling to make top five from the, in the cross country race. So I just, I took, I took a, a long time to improve in that like lactate threshold you know the kind of race pace for back then two hours uh, mm-hmm. so that was that was something I had to work on really hard and I still do I mean that's how that's how I get ready for mountain bike events you know it's just like I do climbing repeats after climbing repeats after climbing repeats <laughs> Dean's favorite work <laughs> and and it's hard but it's it's got me where I needed to get with the intensity, you know, like cyclocross or the short track or let's say, you know, any, anything in between that, like a time trial or anything shorter, uh, that, that comes around pretty quickly. You know, it, I don't have a, even if I don't do it for a while, I do a couple little sessions or a couple of races and it comes back. So that, that was the one thing I really had to work hard for most of my pure mountain biking, um, career. Mm-hmm. And, I think, uh, as you mentioned, the, the aging process or uh, getting older, and the recovery is definitely a lot slower, and so you have to work that into the trading, into the hours, and, uh, you know, and kind of play around with that. But the great thing about it is it's like, you know, you kind of, <laughs> you, you kind of like, you I don't want to say you don't work as hard because you still do, but there's just like that little piece that, you know, like that little extra half an hour or an hour spin. Sometimes they're just don't, they're not a big deal. And if you skip them, it it's not the end of the world. You know, sometimes it's just, I kind of judge it by, if I'm not excited to get on my bike and just like even changing or coming up with way I'm going to ride or what am I going to do, then I take a day off, you know, and mentally that helped me so much. Mm-hmm. Having said that, maybe 10 years ago, I couldn't mentally be okay with that. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm supposed to do an hour ride today or two hour spin and I need to go do it. And if I don't do it, that's the end of the world and I'm not going to be good. <laughs> 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 it's kind of that, that focus or, you know, or I just kind of like, I, I go and I just jump on my cruiser bike and run errands and I'm like well I still got on my bike it wasn't a it wasn't a workout but I got on my bike and I feel fine I got outside and got some exercise and mentally it was more refreshing than just riding you know like mm-hmm. that for an hour or something like that so yeah I play kind of games with myself with my <laughs> mind. oh yeah yeah I mean there's always things you can work on and you know and like you say yeah it's not like it's not very inspiring approach to like talk to somebody who's like in their early twenties and be like, "It's okay, be patient. In ten years, it's all gonna work." Okay, next up we have the authors of Peak Performance. 
Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. Their book did amazingly well. It's really applicable to both training of kind of whatever sport you're into, but also life, work, play, etc. Yeah, we both really enjoyed reading it and it did really well in sort of the business circles, you know, also in sport, you know, whatever sport and covers all these concepts around, you know, sleep, you know, the how we're going to program training in terms of you know, work rest cycles, you know, what, what is balance is, does balance exist? Um, yeah, yeah, it had some really, really good concepts. We have a really good talk with them. You know, Steve Magnus is tremendous track coach, uh, sort of middle distance sort of running coach, I should say. And, you know, Steve or Brad is, uh, you know, very successful writer. So they, they have a, they're a really good team. And we talk a bit about their, how they work together and the system they developed to write this book. Yeah. Um, Also, a note, if you go to the show notes, you can find links to all of the original episodes from all of the little clips that we're playing because we obviously aren't putting everything from the podcast in and there's so many other great quotes other than these quick little clips. Yeah, exactly. Definitely go back and check out some of these episodes. Hopefully we'll, you know, the ones you haven't checked out if you've maybe joined us later or ones that you've forgotten or something too. So a lot of them, you know, certainly check out the show notes for the links and, you know, check out the books if you haven't. Yeah, so this, these guys are just so good for bringing the basics in terms of training and life and making them, you know, seem very elevated, but really, ultimately, none of the stuff they're doing is super hacky or gimmicky or anything. It's pretty much just, hey, live like a reasonable person. Well, and it's true. It, it's, you know, maybe seems easy to discuss it, but, you know, a lot of stuff we do need the reminder or the, the confidence that, you know, if we do push that those sleep hours up or nap periodically or, you know, rather than just slaving away at the desk for eight hours a day straight, you know, they talk about work rest cycles where you maybe work for half an hour and take a break, you know, just even for five minutes to go walk to the water cooler or whatever, right? just to break up that focus. And so a lot of us need that reminder sometimes or those little, I mean, you can call them hacks if you want, uh, just to sort of optimize things, right? And again, whether you're in the office or whether you're, you know, even just doing intervals, that's why we do intervals, you know, in whatever sport you do is to sort of break up that focus and, and keep the motivation high. All right, let's get into it. Getting the work in isn't the problem. And, and I see this with my elite runners all the time is it's not a hard thing to tell them to do crazy workouts. It's a hard thing for them to almost have the reins pulled back and to settle back and, and rest. And I think that's where this equation comes into play is the same thing we see with like elite marathoners not having the confidence to rest you see the same thing with ceos entrepreneurs people in their jobs as they want to grind away and do those you know 8 10 12 hour 14 hour days of work and not take a step back so that's that's why that message is so strong throughout the book is we we all almost want to create this awareness to say hey like putting in hard work is great but it needs to be very focused you need to have a point to doing it just like you'd have a point out um, on the you know no, on the track saying I'm gonna do mile repeats at this pace to get this workout in, you need to have the same point in your life. And then when you come off of it, you need to schedule and have the confidence to rest. You know, I think that the 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 whole stress plus rest equals growth, right? You want to stress yourself as much as possible without burning out. And that's how you get the greatest growth or the greatest training adaptation. 
but when you get close to that line, it's it's easy to cross it inadvertently, and it's also easy to get very caught up in the stress side of the equation without giving the rest side of the equation the, the prioritization that it needs. Um, I know we touched on that a little bit earlier. I just think that, you know, the athletics culture is so much about pushing, right? I grew mm-hmm. up with quotes like if you're not I forgot what the exact quote is, but someone's always working harder than you. So work, 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 work. Yes. And I think with social media and other venues for athletes to post all the work that they're doing all the time, it, it, it almost always seems like as an athlete, someone else is outworking you. So it's almost like all of the forces are on that work side of the equation. Very few are encouraging rest. Um, so I think that athletes tend, tend to overdo it, right? It's the combination of wanting to push yourself as close to that line as possible, but not crossing it. And then all this reinforcement to push, 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 mm-hmm. that unfortunately leads a lot of athletes to, to push too hard. Okay, next up, we have one of my very good friends, Carolyn Gaynor. So she's not your typical athlete. Carolyn and I raced together back in college. We did a bunch of crits together. She's posted some pictures, if you want to go back far enough, where I'm racing a crit with a helmet that's, you know, practically falling off my forehead, and I still have my uh, aero bar like, holders clipped onto my road bike. So that's how far back we go. Uh, But after kind of getting out of competitive sport, she got into guiding. So now she guides all kinds of different distances and races, but primarily Ironman triathletes who have uh, sight issues. So she, you know, swims tethered to blind triathletes and rides on a tandem and runs attached to them. And, you know, the training that goes into just finishing an Ironman in general is crazy and she's doing a few of them a season pretty casually and she's got a full-time job that she has to travel for yeah oh and she went to Kona this year too uh, to race and they finished yeah yeah Uh, so she's crazy Uh, and I love her and And we we talked we spoke to her right before you know not right before but in the the lead up in the five months before our Ironman and so I, I really went after her to try and get some of these you know well how do you finish you know, on this limited schedule. So I found it really interesting to speak to her about sort of how she gets through these things. Because it's not just that she's, you know, oh, she's fitter than them, so she just sandbags. Like, you can't... You You can't sandbag Iron Man. There's no coasting, right? Like, she still has to survive this this long swim, and you have to survive a marathon run. Like, there's no coasting on a run, right? Um, And then you're also out there, potentially, for quite some time, right? Like, their finish times are not record times, but they are finishing you know, within the time limit. So it's... There's a great quote by the guy that was last to the Lantern Rouge in the Tour de France where he says he was the hardest working guy out there because he's the one that was out there the longest every single day. Right, and, right. And, you know, she's not finishing last in these, but, yeah, she's out there for a lot of hours. But kind of more than the training, what we found so interesting about this was actually something that Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus is what I was going to say. Talk about a bunch, which is knowing your why. And for her, her why is helping other athletes. So she has a much more, I guess, altruistic view of sport than a lot of us do, to be honest. Well, and really our podcast, right? Like we're really looking at, you know, okay, well, none of us are going to go to the Olympics, presumably, if we're listening. Although I think... Okay, maybe some of you are. Sometimes Katarina listens, so maybe some of us are going. I apologize if you're going to the Olympics, all all three of you. We take it back. Um, (laughs) Thank you for being one of the six listeners. It's Mm. a very high-end group that Mm. listens, but... 
all that to say, a lot of us are, are past the point where we're going to do anything. We're going to get paid to play and stuff like this. So, you know, why do you do it then? Right. And, and I think, you know, a lot of athletes I work with, we're, we're always sort of questioning this, right? Like, is there, is it just for fun? You know, are we pursuing, you know, our personal best still, uh, you know, so in this one, we're talking about maybe finding another why by helping other people complete Ironman that maybe couldn't, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's a, a different twist on it too. You know, some of us will do charity rides and things like this. And so this is, to me, another progression, another option. And I'm sure there's other similar, there's Paralympic, you know, para, oh, yeah. paracycling, things like this. It's crazy I think easy. in obstacle course racing, they have things similar as well. Uh, so, you know, the challenge here as consummate athletes is finding a reason that we're doing new sports, finding a reason that we're continuing to do the sports we know and love, finding new challenges, right? So I think this one might have been overlooked, but is one that I would love you guys to go back and listen to and, and sort of pull something out for your own uh you know, situation, your own, your own life. And I think there's a lot of really good stuff from this episode. I do this talk where I, I tell this story a lot, but I'll, I'll give you guys the like actual sort of more in-depth version, which is not, it's not necessarily longer, but um, you know, so graduated in 06, 2007, I had a pretty good season, um, posted some times that were good for me, relatively speaking. Uh, and then I kind of, I had a really hard year in 2008. Um, so 2008 is when I started guiding, but I was dealing with um, just a lot of personal stuff. Um, and I was just struggling. And I think um, I, I was, my sleep was all messed up. And I was, I, you know, I wasn't diagnosed, but I'm pretty confident that I had um, adrenal fatigue syndrome. And mm -hmm. so I was signed up for the New York City Triathlon that year in 2008. I was signed up in the elite age group wave, which I had done the year before and I'd done well enough. Um, and, but I was really, I was just feeling terrible. Like I was having trouble running 10 minutes a mile, which was many minutes per mile slower than I would normally go. Um, and I got a, I got a phone call from a, a friend of mine, this guy, Matt Miller, he runs base nutrition now. And he had a, he had a charity called, uh, see different where he would connect blind athletes with guys. And I don't think it exists anymore, but, um, anyway he was it was somebody I knew but I I didn't know any women that were doing it and he said hey I have a girl coming into New York she's doing the New York City triathlon but she doesn't have a guide yet and this was one week before the race <laughs> uh, and so you know when some people paint this picture they're like oh she was super competitive and she was you know gonna go out and kill this elite age group wave and it's like that's that's not the case like I think that guiding that race uh helped me as much or more than it helped you know, the athletes that I raced with. Um, and, and I also just had a fantastic time. So thankfully she was a new athlete, even though I wasn't feeling great, like I was still totally able to, to keep up with whatever um, she needed me to do. But in terms of my own ability, that wasn't anywhere near where I wanted to be for myself. Okay, this next one up is actually kind of sad um, because the the guy on this podcast actually passed away in the past few months, uh, but we really wanted to include Total Immersion Swimming and Terry Lachlan because we were lucky enough to get him on the podcast, and it was such a good episode for how to learn something new as an adult, and I think it especially rang true for Peter, who was learning how to swim. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how the podcast was largely a selfish endeavor and a lot of our themes for the the sort of 50 to 100 or maybe 50 to 75 episodes 
um, was to help with triathlon. So we had Rich Patey on talking about how to triathlon. We just spoke about Carolyn on with her guiding and triathlon. And then we had Terry on about swimming. And total immersion is a big deal. You know, a lot of people are able to what he are are able to learn to swim. You know, these are adults, and he calls them, he he called them adult onset swimmers. Uh, people who didn't swim, you know, professionally or or at a high level as kids, where you you know swim like a, you figure it out and you know you're all you're into it. So once you become an adult, often it becomes harder, right? So his systems are really really good and you know they're criticized by some of the serious swimmers you know swimmer only people but i think what gets missed is the systems they have get people who are you know scared on some level you know to put their face in the water to start swimming don't know how to float their their feet sink you know it, it's really hard so for me it was transformative and really really helped and you know i found a couple other things along the way that that also helped with speed and stuff as i got comfortable but for me that total immersion was was really good and this episode is filled with stuff that is very actionable if you're trying to learn to swim but also some good coaching sort of philosophy stuff as well that that i thought was really really good so you know we put this in here like molly says it's a little sad terry passed away this past year but um, you know, I think the episode was another really, really good one, an earlier one for us, but quite good. All right, well, let's get to it. My three would be, and I, I thought about this after you sent the question. So the first would be efficiency or economy. That that your your goal is to find the most the easiest way to perform any task in the water because we are hugely wasteful. Uh, as human swimmers, we are hugely, hugely wasteful. The, um, the average untutored or uncoached swimmer converts only 3% of energy into forward motion, which means 97% is, is wastefully diverted. So energy or economy would be the first. Uh, and balance or weightlessness would be the next because that's the very first thing you must master in order to be an efficient economical swimmer. And then third is moving with grace or fluency because you want to move like water and uh, when you're when you're in the water. So Okay, next up we have Steven Seiler. And Steven came to my attention based on a tweet of his Seiler's hierarchy of training needs, uh, which is basically a play on Maslow's hierarchy of need, but it's Seiler's version of it and it's based on training. And I thought it was the most brilliant depiction of what we all need to be doing and kind of what most of our training needs to look like. Yeah, it was really quite interesting. You know, it reinforces that rather than looking at things like altitude and, you know, this magical pill that, you know, a lot of us need sleep and the the fundamentals of being a human, right? And that's what Maslow's hierarchy indicated, you know, you need sleep, you need food, you need shelter, that sort of stuff, right? So that's what Siler was trying to get at with this was before you get crazy and trying to do special intervals or anything like that, you know, the time you're spent riding against sleep and just being a healthy human, which again rings true with what we were doing with this podcast, you know, being able to move as a human. Uh, and so that was really why we had him on, but that certainly is not all Steven Seiler is. Yeah, he's an exercise scientist uh, working over in Europe, although I think he's from Texas, so I think he's got a bit of a 
Texas drawl when you talk to Texas him. mixed with, was it Norway? Yeah. yeah. Texas, Texan and Norway. Uh, so yeah, we talked about a bunch of the other experiments and stuff he's been doing in the field of really high level elite athletes and talked a bit about how they can be applied to, you know, some of your more average people like, like us. Yeah, I mean, his most famous stuff is he's his name is on a lot of the studies based around polarized training. So they're they're taking you know the training of you know big cross country skiers or professional athletes, elites, and, and then looking at how much of the time in each year or each four years or the whole lifetime of the the professional athlete, even in some cases, how much of this is spent in high intensity, medium intensity, low intensity. Uh, and, and a lot of the studies that they've done have shown that indeed there's you know a large proportion spent in that low intensity endurance range, and then on the high high intensity range, and not as much in the middle. And so this is quite controversial still. You know the threshold training. We just finished a podcast number ninety nine was with Steve Neal, sort of how he comes to terms with that. And this has been a topic we've we've sort of been back and forth with because it's quite central to how you organize your own training and. So we talked to Stephen indeed about how does this apply only to elites or does it apply to the, the consummate athlete, to the everyday working class person with, you know, eight hours to train. And as usual, I feel like the answer is sometimes. Yeah, it depends. It's always it depends. But I think it gives you what the polarized training is and how you can apply it. And he also gives you back to the Maslow sort of the hierarchy of needs. It gives you some good training principles. And there's a couple quotes in there that are just gold. So... Here you go. I hope you enjoy this clip. You know, we just <laughs> we just mentioned the whole one percent thing, but that sort of you know leads very nicely into your hierarchy of endurance training, where if you don't have that big bottom chunk, all the one percents in the world aren't really gonna. That's right. One <laughs> percent a of a little bitty pie is still not much of a of a, of a you know a, a victory. So. It's, you've got to build the base. You've got to have uh, a basic capacity before the 1% matters, you know, before the altitude camp matters or the uh, hypoxia tent or all these things that just 40 to 50-year-old men love to buy. Because <laughs> I was, was going to say power. carbon deep dish wheels and aerodynamic yeah, spokes. It, it's just it, the, best, the best story I remember when I was a – a student back in college I was climbing a hill on my bike which was a Cannondale at the time this was in the late 80s I guess and uh, I was happy with my Cannondale and then I I came upon another fella and I, I actually I pulled up beside him on the hill so I I was able to to chase him down and he had a fancy carbon bike and this was in the 80s so this was very uh, new. It was a Panasonic mm-hmm. carbon frame, and and uh, we ended up talking. And, and he asked me, "Well, do you want to try it out?" And I said, "No, I would never be able to afford it. And besides, I caught you anyway." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was, you know, that was always my thought was, is I, I was, you know, I thought as long as I train well then I can live with the other guy having a fancier bike, you know, because he had a couple extra kilos around the midsection. And so uh, I decided that I would I would save money by keeping my body weight down and let him worry about the few hundred grams on his bike weight. You know, And that's just kind of how it ends up being when you're when you in your 40s and that you're looking for shortcuts. I've been there. You're looking for magic. 
And it's easy to be uh, caught up in the hype, uh, you know, with, with whatever the journalist throws out there or the, or the media throws out there is the newest cool training method or technology. And they, it almost never lives up to the hype. Mm-hmm. But what does work is the basics still. It's just the basics. Sven Nies needs no introduction for 99.9% of you listening. If you haven't heard his name before, big name cyclocrosser, biggest name cyclocrosser, really. Uh, you could hear where he was in a World Cup on the course based on where the roars were coming. And he really transformed the sport of cyclocross, right? Like in Belgium, it would be like saying Wayne Gretzky in Canada or Michael Jordan in, in the U.S. Thank right? you like for this, the U.S. This, this is a, a big deal. So, he, he is a big deal, yeah. right? So I cornered him in the pit in Cross Vegas, at Cross Vegas a couple of years ago because he now actually has retired from racing but still works with the uh, Trek Telenet Fidea team. Um, and he was, yeah, just hanging out in the pit. So I sort of grabbed him and asked him what his top tip for racing was. And, you know, it's great advice for anyone who wants to be at that highest level. And I think it serves as an amazing reminder of what it takes to be one of the world's best in cyclocross. Yeah. And this episode was short, but it was definitely one of our, our, our top ones, right? It was people love Sven Nice and the advice is good. And I think the important thing is this quote really emphasizes, you just need to focus on that one thing, right? And you don't have to focus on it as consummate athletes. We want to do lots of different things, but if you're trying to learn to swim right now, that's you know, what you got to do. Focus on that, right? Spend time on that. Don't get distracted. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear from him. You need to live 365 days in a year for your sport. That helps a lot. Uh, not for a small period. Um, and, and you need to have the passion from day one until the last day. Yeah. And if you have that and love the sport even in your last year, and everything is possible. Yeah. And uh, of course, you you need to have talent. You need to have good technique uh, that helps uh, uh, that that you not have a, a bad crash, but you need to have a bit a bit of luck also. Absolutely. And uh, for me, that all came together. Yeah. And that made that I have a long career. Yeah. Okay, this next one is possibly the most consummate athlete of the people we've ever had on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I don't know about that. Like, I think. I think it's an important message. Okay. I mean, I can't think of anyone that's kind of a better fit for this all around, all the time moving than Katie Bowman. Well, and that's it. I think for a lot of us who are athletes and consider ourselves athletes, Katie gives us sort of, you know, some some food for thought. You know, what are we doing when we're not exercising? You know, we have we have that hour, that maybe two hours a day if we're lucky where we can train, but how are we moving? Are we moving the rest of the day? And so that's a large part of her philosophy, very simplified. She has several books, some about foot pain. She has some about moving all the time. I think the most recent is Movement Matters, correct? Right, and so that's what we spoke to her about, and it, it really goes into this, you know, the cellular level of your movement. What is the effect of, she talks, the, the most microscopic one I can think about is tea bags. you know, not doing that movement of, actually grinding the tea, let alone putting the tea into a tea bag. So she's saying, you know, we're outsourcing a lot of the movement we're doing. That's a very, you know, simplified, very small example. But things like chairs, you know, rather than sitting on the ground. Um, 
what are some other ones she has? You know, the heeled shoe is the classic one that she's all about, right? So the, the minimalist shoe for walking, not going crazy and running marathons in them, but just during the day, how many of these heeled shoes are shortening your calf muscles and, and then affecting how your feet work? I mean, I think for us, one of the biggest takeaways was just to remind us to walk more. Uh, I mean, we both do that a ton. We walk pretty much all of our errands. I, you know, farmers carry our groceries home. Uh, well, so indeed. So you've, you're now what she calls stacking your grocery shopping and we walk together. So we're stacking some relationship time mm-hmm. uh, with getting food, food mm-hmm. acquisition, and then also some exercise time, some movement time. We've got to start foraging. 2018 goals. Well, that could make it harder, I guess. But yeah, so Katie's really, really cool. If you have time, if you have foot pain, ankle pain, I recommend her book. I I send people to her book all the time for that. If you're curious about this non-exercise activity, which is becoming a a trend and and interest here in a lot of studies and and hashtags, you can definitely check out Movement Matters. I mean, I would definitely say if I think about like the last couple years since I've started walking more compared to when I was just strictly training and then existing... I am in such better shape now than I ever was when I was just, you know, running for an hour a day and that was it. Well, and I speak quite often to clients about, I've just basically taken, you know, probably a couple hours of endurance out of my cycling training. And certainly I rarely do endurance rides anymore. And so my on-bike time is very focused. I'm in the gym, hopefully a couple times a week. And then walking makes up a lot of that low-end aerobic that used to be easy spins on the road or, you know, just junk aerobic sort of endurance miles, you know, and now we're walking or hiking up at the mountain and stuff, right? And you can debate the specificity of it, but I would probably turn around and say, how much more do I need to do 15 years into to doing it, right? So that's sort of a rambling bit. We picked a, one of the quotes, but I think this one, I was super nervous for this podcast. We, we did it in a linen closet the and just to try and get the sound perfect. And she was quite, quite nice, but I was quite nervous. She was probably the biggest person. I don't want to say that, but she was at the time, the person I was the most nervous for, I guess. So, Absolutely. so hopefully that doesn't come off or maybe it does come off and it's comical, but this quote is good. And hopefully you'll go back and listen to this episode. When you eat, there are, there's not really good foods or bad foods as much as you need a very specific spectrum of foods because your cells operate on the right amount of many different nutrients. And so when you have a nutritional deficiency, there's a very specific illness or a range of illnesses that erupts in people who are missing very specific nutrients. And so over time, when you see those same ailments someone qualified in dietary nutrients, like, oh, those are symptoms of a deficiency of vitamin this or vitamin that. With movement, it's very, it's very similar where you can take something good, like let's say cycling, which is, you know, a perfectly fine motion. But if your movement diet is solely one type of nutrient over and over and over again, you're going to find yourself depleted in other areas, as well as just if we go back to dietary nutrients, vitamin D is great. If you don't have vitamin D, there are many ailments that erupt. But if you get too much vitamin D, that vitamin D is now also toxic. You will shut your organs down by taking too much vitamin D. So it's always to remember that, that the dose 
of the range of nutrients is is what it takes to be healthy, meaning it's what it takes for your system to function without some indication of malnutrition. So I would suggest that most of us are suffering from movement malnutrition, whether it's someone who's doing zero movement at all, or it's someone who's consuming a very high amount of one particular nutrient over and over and over again, because then if we wanna now convert it to mechanical terms, you've got stress risers, injury makers. Um, one of the things that's really key to my work is that people can widen their perspective from people being either active or sedentary to within your own body, there are active and sedentary parts. There are parts of you that you use all the time and there are parts of you that you've never used. And that to understand that the protective benefits of exercise are on the cellular level and some benefits to exercise are global, meaning, meaning you can do something with one part of your body and thereby nourish all parts of your body. But you can also do things with one part of your body that doesn't do the same thing to all parts of your body as it's doing to that one part of your body. So for example, if you're a cyclist, you're using your legs in a particular way and that helps you adapt to that thing that you're doing. But when you transition to something different, like maybe like a bone loss is a big thing in a cyclist's um, quite often, or that you can actually start with a particular bone density in certain areas. And then after training, you can see a decrease in certain locations that have not had to be weight bearing due to the bicycle carrying the bulk of your weight. Okay. So that cycling, yes, there are definitely whole body adaptations, but there are also local ones within the body. And just because some just because some whole body measures like your VO2 max or your resting heart rate are getting better, those don't necessarily translate to all of your cells receiving the same protective benefit of exercise. That is complicated mm -hmm. and that that your cells are all adapting to their particular mechanical environment and that depends on the loads that you experience while you're moving. Okay, our last clip in our 100th episode actually comes not about sport, but about one of our other favorite hobbies. So when we found out about Jax Moriesh, this ultra running Wonder Woman who also manages a coffee roastery and now two locations for stoked roasters uh, and has little packets of instant coffee, really good espresso beans, tons of cool stuff going on. We were super <laughs> stoked to talk to her. Actually, I just posted about Stoked Sticks the other day and had someone say, a coffee called Stoked is the most Molly thing I've ever seen. Well, I, I wasn't sure whether they thought it was like a candy that you liked that was coffee flavored and had the word Stoked in it. That's how I read that. I don't think so. I think okay, he got well, the coffee thing. Any, anyway. <laughs> most consummate athletes, you know, you're doing a lot of activity, you're getting out there, you're, you're maybe pushing some limits. So coffee just makes sense. It's part of a lot of endurance. It's a part of a lot of just sport atmospheres. It's part of digestive like atmospheres, the social aspect. It's a big part of it. So, you know, this is a good one to finish on. If you didn't check out the episode, check it out. If, if you need coffee, they ship. Absolutely. I think at least all through the U S I can't recall, but I'm pretty sure that's all U S definitely U S and uh, yeah, yeah, let's end on how to brew the perfect cup of coffee. Enjoy, guys.
like back in the day, I was kind of, I was a road racer that turned to trail. And then with ultras, it's like you have such high mileage weeks that it's hard to like, okay, now I need to go do massage and strength training and body work and hot tub and, you know, all this stuff. And for the four desert three series, if you want to win, you absolutely 100% have to do all that stuff. And in the past, I would kind of get away with just my running program. Um, so I would do a series of squats and um, glute exercises every single morning while my coffee brewed. And then I would do a core workout every single day um, that I had created. It was called the core challenge. And it's like a hundred days of exercises that take like 10 to 15 minutes. And I literally religiously did that every single day. And if I didn't do that, I would kind of feel weak. Um, I have, um, I have a Bodum Burr coffee grinder. It's my favorite grinder ever. And um, how it works is it's by seconds of how long it's going to grind. And so based off of what uh, amount you have, you're using seconds. And then based off of what grind you want, you're actually changing where the burr is sitting um, on the top. So you're spinning the top. And so the top is set on French press. And then um, for me, it's 15 seconds. So I'm not sure what that weight is but i could actually figure it out yeah i think Um, i think the classic that you always see is like uh i think it's two tablespoons for a six ounce cup or for six ounces i guess in the press so it's a surprising amount i think is usually people run too much water is that sort of the more common error do you think that we're we're going too much water for the amount of coffee or, or not enough coffee either it's that or like if they're not I mean, the biggest thing is the grind. So if like folks will get these like hand grinders and then it's like, what kind of grind is that? And they're using that for all different kinds of brewing equipment. So it's like a French press. The grind is extremely coarse. And for a espresso, let's say, or, um, uh, you know, other like your drip brewer somewhere in the middle, espresso is super fine. Um, so here I can tell you actually I just weighed it. It's 64 grams is what my sweet spot is for a 32-ounce press. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete like you save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D, that's C-A-P-O-D, for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on 
Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.